Well, good morning. Welcome to Chapel Hill. My name's Ellis. I'm the pastor of weekend services. And how many of you guys were here last week? I'm glad we didn't smoke you out. Apparently, we left the back door open and the smoke made its way all the way downtown and uh, hung around the downtown area all afternoon. We had reports about it from policemen and all sorts. So glad you guys are back and it didn't affect you too badly. If you weren't here, you missed a treat. Um, and uh, you, you don't want to miss a Sunday here at Chapel Hill or a weekend here at Chapel Hill. That's all I've got to say. If you're new here, we're really excited that you joined us this weekend. You joined us at a great time. We're kicking off a new summer series, a really significant series, I think, entitled The Healer. We're going to be looking at the healing ministry of Jesus over these next six weeks. And, and what does that mean for us today? What relevance does it bear for us today? And I know we all approach this subject of healing from very different places because every single one of us has a different story, a different set of life experiences that, that we have to bear on this. And, and we want to approach this topic from many different angles because we think it's important to look at it from different perspectives. In fact, in your worship guides, you'll find one of these. This is a little invite card with a little preview of what's coming up over these next six weeks. This is for you to take and invite someone to join you. And, and on the back, you can read some of the, the topics we're going to be talking about. If, if you know someone who struggles with a chronic illness, we're going to be talking about that next week. If you know someone who's been heartbroken, if you know someone who feels oppressed, someone who's had to be persistent in seeking healing, someone who feels like they're a, a work in progress and maybe they'll never get there, we're, we're going to be looking at this topic from many different points of view. So please come join us and invite someone who you know who would benefit from this to come with you. If you don't have one of them in your worship guides, I know a few of the worship guides didn't have them, the, the ushers will be able to get them for you on the way out. Today, we're going to start by looking at the topic of doubt when it comes to God's healing power today. I mean, it's one thing for us to read the stories of healing that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. It's quite another thing for us to believe that God could really heal today and that God could really heal me or my friend or my relative. Last year was quite a difficult year for, for my physical health. In the middle of the year, I started experiencing chest pains. I was out for dinner at a restaurant with my family, and all of a sudden, my heart started pounding and beating in my chest faster and faster and faster. I started to sweat profusely. My, my vision started to narrow. I started to lose all touch with reality, and, and then I started to feel kind of like sound waves bashing in on, on back and forth on my head, and my heart still beating out of my chest, and I don't know what on earth is going on. I turn to my wife, I say, Rachel, I think I'm having a heart attack. So after a trip to the ER and a visit to a cardiologist, my heart was given the all clear. Now, sadly, my stress levels were not given the all clear. Uh, during the fall, from September onwards for about four and a half months, I had a persistent sore throat. And I thought initially it was just a cold that wasn't going away, so I, I took a couple of weeks of vocal rest, and, and it was still there when I came back. I, I couldn't understand it. I, I, I couldn't understand how this could be happening to me. I mean, God, you've called me to, to do this, to lead in worship, and yet you're allowing my instrument to be broken. Why won't you fix my instrument? You have the power to do this, God. Why won't you do it? Well, eventually, I was diagnosed with a laryngeal pharyngeal disease, or as it's sometimes known, silent acid reflux. It's quite common amongst singers in high-stress environments. I got given a, a course of medication, and within a month, all the pain was gone. It was magic. 
Sadly, there were some lasting effects. I kind of got addicted to those Ricola, you know, those cough drops, right? Don't they taste awesome? Yeah, guess how many feelings I had to have in January? Six. Yeah. I certainly learned some lessons last year. I'm so grateful for modern medicine. I'm so grateful for the advances that we've seen and the way that God uses that to bring about healing in our lives. If, if you're a medical professional, I am thankful for you and your willingness to be a part of that work of healing in people's lives. Grateful for that. But nevertheless, there are still things that plague us. There are still sicknesses and diseases. There are emotional hurts, psychological hurts, things that modern medicine isn't equipped to deal with that still plague our lives. And when we approach these things, it, it can be easy, like, like I was going through last year, to, to think, you know what, God's going to heal me of this. I know it, I believe it, I'm going to pray and I'm going to see it happen. And then when it doesn't happen the way you expect it to, it can be easy to become doubtful of God's power. Doubt whether he really can do that. As we approach this topic of healing and we look at it from this angle of doubt, I want to start by asking, what is it that the Bible, the scriptures have to say about healing? And the scriptures are really plain. They say that our God is a God who heals. It's said throughout the Old Testament that he's a God who heals, but it comes to the, to the fore in the person and ministry of Jesus. The accounts of Jesus' life, the Gospels, One quarter of them, one quarter of what's written in those accounts, 25%, is about the healing miracles of Jesus. The Bible is very clear that Jesus performed miraculous healings. Matthew kind of summarizes it this way. He says, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So Jesus had a prolific healing ministry. But it wasn't just Jesus who was able to heal. Jesus gave this ability to heal to his disciples, to his 12, and sent them out to go and do what he had done. Mark records that Jesus' disciples cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So Jesus could do it. His disciples could do it. But what about when Jesus ascended into heaven? What about when his disciples had died out? Did the healing ministry continue with the rest of Jesus' followers? Well, the book of Acts tells us about one of those early leaders, Paul, who was not one of the 12. It says that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Jesus had this ability to heal. He passed it on to his 12 disciples and they in turn passed it on to his followers. And we believe as a church that this healing ministry, this miraculous healing ministry has continued throughout the ages that God even today still does miraculous works of healing in people's lives and he still uses his followers to do that. If you want to read more detail about our beliefs about healing, we've got a beliefs page on our website and there's a, a link you can click to read our beliefs on healing. But the bottom line is this, we still believe that God heals today. In fact, we share a story every time we do Alpha about a, a young woman from Vancouver, BC. And it's a story of how God healed her. I want you to take a look at it. 
It was a Friday night, and I remember the middle of the night waking up and being quite delirious, literally spilling a glass of water in my bedroom, uh, trying to make it to the bathroom because I was going to be ill, and just not even understanding what was going on. And it was quite scary, actually. And I remember waiting till the next morning before I said to my husband, I think I should go to the hospital. I didn't realize when I went into the hospital, I would not be coming out for quite some time. I remember the doctor coming in to me and being quite severe looking, you know, very sort of serious about what he had to tell me. And he went on to tell me that I have something called fungal meningitis, and the form of it is actually called Cryptococcus gatii. And it was as strange as it sounded. A fungal ball had already um, started to grow on my brain. It was 1.3 centimeters at the base of my brain stem, and it was um, replicating itself at a really high rate. And that's the danger with this particular disease, is that uh, it gets to a point where it's big enough, which is three centimeters, that they, the only way to get rid of it is to have surgery on your brain. And no one wants that. And they told me not only would I be in the hospital for eight weeks, I would be on antifungals for two years after that. For the first three nights, I would find myself late at night at about 11 o'clock, um, lying in my hospital bed, and I would just have panic attacks. I was actually having a deeply physical response to um, this knowledge that I could die. Lots of people were praying for me, lots and lots of people. And uh, I was so grateful for their prayers. I was grateful for the wonderful medical care I had. But I remember on Friday, and it happened to be Easter weekend, so Good Friday, my minister for my church offered to come in and pray with us, and we accepted that invitation. And he came and he prayed for me, and he said, I think God may want to heal you. And so it was a Friday afternoon that he prayed for me, and I was scheduled for an MRI on the Tuesday following. I feel like I had very little faith for miraculous healing. It's not because I didn't believe it was possible. I just thought it would probably happen for other people. It would never happen to little old me in Vancouver. I went into the MRI machine, and the next day I got the results. And I don't think I will ever forget the day. And I can see the doctor's face rushing into our room and saying, are you ready to go home? And Ryan and I were quite confused. You know, we'd sort of set ourselves up for we're here for eight weeks. It was at five and a half weeks. And we said, yes, why? And he said, has no one given you your MRI results? We said, no, nobody's come in yet. He said, we can't find it. And I said, what do you mean you can't find it? He said, your fungal ball has completely disappeared. I can't find a trace of it. It's as if it never existed. And I said, not even the little scar on my brain? He said, nothing. It's completely gone. You can go home today. And I remember the moment, because my husband just fell into my lap, laughing, crying. I was laughing. And I said to this doctor, who I don't believe had a Christian faith like I did, I said to him, I believe God healed me. He kind of shrugged and said, I don't have an explanation. And literally, I went home that day. I have never known that kind of joy. But also, I also know that I've never experienced that depth of gratitude. We believe that God still heals today, that he still does miraculous works of healing. And I know many, many people 
in this congregation have stories of how God came through and healed them or their friend or their relative. I know many of you have a testimony to share of of God's goodness, greatness, his power in healing. And yet nevertheless, at the same time, I often find myself saying something very like that woman. Yeah, God, he can do it for other people, but I don't know if he can do it for me. I don't know if he can do it for my relative. We find these doubts. And this is actually the very same question that that a young father brought to Jesus, to Jesus himself, in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Mark and I preached a, a message about uh, on Father's Day, about Jesus and his disciples, three of, the, three of his disciples heading up a mountain. And this story in Mark chapter 9 takes place immediately after that. As they come down from the mountain, Jesus and his disciples in, encounter a crowd, a crowd of people, and they're arguing. They're arguing with themselves because the disciples have failed to heal a young boy who's been suffering with seizures. And they're probably arguing about why it was that they couldn't do it. And then Jesus shows up and all the attention turns to Jesus. And so Jesus says, okay, bring the boy to me. So the boy is brought to him and immediately the boy starts having another seizure. And Jesus turns to the father of the boy and he asks him a question. He says to him, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I want you to put yourself in that father's shoes for a moment. Just just think about what he's been through. He's got a son who has grown up from childhood experiencing seizures, which is horrible enough as it is to watch your son go through something like that. But not only that, those seizures have often thrown him into the water and into the fire to try and kill him. And he hasn't died, thankfully. But this father's probably tried everything he can to find healing for his young son, and nothing has worked. One day he hears of the disciples. He hears, he hears they're coming into town. He's, he's heard about them. They've been going all around the countryside. They've been healing people everywhere. And he says to his boy, this is it. This is it. Today's the day. And he brings his son to the disciples, and nothing happens. You can imagine how he's feeling, despondent, hopeless. But then as he's walking away, he hears, Jesus is here and he wants to see your son. There's this glimmer of hope and and they come over to Jesus. But as soon as they get there, his son starts having another seizure. Can you imagine the pain in that moment? It feels hopeless. You can hear that doubt in his words. You can hear it as he says to Jesus, if you can do anything. He's not even sure Jesus is going to be able to help his son. He's hopeless. And I know other people have been in that situation too. I heard a story of the parents of a young boy named Jackson who lives in California. I want to share his story with you this morning. I'm a little bit of a a nut when it comes to Christmas because I didn't have the lights outside and all of that. We grew up kind of poor. And and, um, so... This was a really special Christmas for us. Um, you know, we went out and got our tree, 
and stockings were hung, and then everything changed. We love to do a train cake every year together as a family, and Jackson and I were actually doing that, just me and him that day. So it was a super fun, like, mommy-son moment, and we were making the cake, and then that evening, just not long after that, he was just laid out on the floor. I knew this, he's not okay. He needs to go to the hospital. And so we rushed him to the ER. He was just, like, so sick, and I could hardly, you know, get him to the hospital. The doctor had called me up, and he said, I'm really concerned that he might have E. coli. When I heard that, I thought, oh, psh, that's like one in a million chance. I don't feel like that would be possible. Um, and if it is E. coli, that's treatable. And a lot of times E. coli doesn't, I mean, it's just a terrible sickness and it passes through the system. But in our case, um, he contracted HUS, that, which then developed into kidney failure and to the most severe, um, the most severe case of HUS. The doctor had said that this is basically out of their realm of capabilities and that we had to go to a different children's hospital. And I was thinking, oh, that's going to be in the next few days. He said, no, you need to go tonight and you're going to get on a helicopter. We're going to fly him there. I was just flooded with the sense that I might never know my boy growing up to be a man it might be this week that I lose my son all of a sudden his speech starts to slur he just started not being able to communicate not being able to respond in the middle of the night they rushed us up to the PICU and called the neurosurgeon in they tested him and there was no response there was no pain response there was no recognition of me and at that moment i thought i i'm losing my son even if he makes it through this i don't know if he'll ever know me again he was just sprawled out on the bed and couldn't respond to anything I would imagine that Jackson's parents felt just like the father in our story. Hopeless. Yes, I've heard that, that God can heal others, but I just don't know if he's going to do it. I don't know if he's going to do it in this situation. And perhaps you've even been there yourself, in that place where you're facing similar circumstances in your own life or the life of someone close to you. I mean, we've got plenty of evidence to help us to doubt, right? We've got plenty of stories of people who got sick and they were prayed for. People believed they were going to be healed and, and then they died. I was emailing with a man this week who said that had happened to his friend only a couple of months ago. The question that it leaves me asking is, God, if, if you have this power to heal, why don't you heal everyone? Why, why, do you, why do you only heal some people and not others? The honest answer to that question is we don't know why. And we probably never will in this life. But here's what we do know. 
we do know that one day, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, every single one of us who's in Christ will be completely, totally healed of every sickness, of every disease, of every infirmity, of every affliction. And we will have total peace. Revelation, the last book in the Bible, writes about that day after Jesus has come again, after he has made all things new, after he has restored the kingdom of God to this earth, that on that day God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. One day Jesus will come to rule and to reign as king on this earth. He will make all things new, and all who are in him will be healed. But until that day, we only see glimpses. We only see little foretastes. This, this healing power of God, this, this healing of God that, that is going to come, his kingdom rule, his kingdom reign, it, it's, it's now and it's not yet. It's now and it's not yet. Let me, let me explain it this way. We, we live in the Pacific Northwest and we're very familiar with seasonal weather here. There's often a day in March, pretty much every year, where the thermometer breaks 70 degrees, the sun comes out, and so do all the legs of all of the men. And on a day like that, it almost feels like summer's here. You know, it's like, wow, yes, we made it. But we know that in about a week's time, it's going to be raining and 45 degrees again. Because it's March. It's the Pacific Northwest. But on that day, it feels like summer has broken in. We get a foretaste of summer. We, we know it's months until we get the real thing. But on that day, it feels like summer's here. God's healing happens in the same way. We experience the foretaste of it from time to time, breaking in. And it's beautiful. It's glorious. It's amazing. It's worth celebrating. Because it's a foretaste of what we will all receive, every single one of us. God's healing power, God's kingdom is now and not yet. It is now and not yet. And that's worth celebrating because we get to experience it now but it's also worth holding on to in those hard moments when we recognize that we have not yet experienced it in its fullness, but one day we will. And so what are we to do as we live in this, this in-between time, between the now and the not yet? What, what are we to do? How are we to live? What are we to believe about God's power to heal? Well, I think the young father in our story gives us words that we can say, that we can hold on to, that we can claim to be true. You know, right after he said to Jesus, if you can do anything, Jesus responded to him and he says this, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out, literally with tears, he, he roared, I believe. 
help my unbelief. You see, Jesus confronts him with the reality of his situation. The choice he has to make is a choice about belief. He doesn't have a choice to make about whether his son is going to be healed or not. That's not his decision. His decision is, is he going to believe that Jesus can heal his son? Or is he going to allow that doubt, that fear, that hopelessness to overwhelm him? And I love the way he responds. I believe, help my unbelief. He says to Jesus, I'm really struggling with doubt. I have some unbelief. But in this moment, I'm going to choose to give that unbelief to you and ask that you would change it. Would you help my unbelief? He doesn't minimize the fact that he's struggling, that he's wrestling with these things. And yet at the same time, he makes this bold declaration, I believe. Jesus, I believe that you can do this. I believe that you have the power to heal my son. And yet nevertheless, I have this doubt. I have this fear. I have this sense of hopelessness. But today I'm going to choose to give that to you and I'm going to trust it to you. When we are faced with doubt, I wonder if this offers a model for us as to how we respond. Maybe, just maybe, we need to declare out loud what we believe, even if we only believe it up here in our heads and it hasn't made its way to our heart. And we need to declare it. I believe, but at the same time, we need to say to God, God, here is all of my hurt, all of my pain, all of my doubt, all of my fear, and I want you to take that, and he will take it. I believe, help my unbelief. As the story of that little boy Jackson in California spread, some, some friends of his parents who lived on the other side of the country were really moved, and, and they responded in a way that I think is similar to the way that this father responds. I want you to, to listen to that. I remember the night we got the text that they didn't think he was going to make it through the night. When you got the text, you just collapsed into my arms and just like began to weep. And I could just feel like, like, we're going to lose. Like, we're going to lose, Jack. Like, we're not going to win this one. There's not going to be victory on this battlefield. Those moments, even though they're really hard, something within us rises up. The only moments of trauma and intensity can actually call forth. In those moments for us, like the only option is like, we just have to worship. I remember standing at this crossroads and this giant of unbelief standing in front of me. Like, it's, it's your prayers don't matter. Um, all these prayers don't matter. Like, the Lord's not going to hear it. This is going to be like the other moments where you prayed with all your heart and then you buried your friend the next week. And... Um, and it, but there was like something inside of me of like, no. And the melody just erupted out of my heart that, um, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. He sent me a song and I didn't know to what extent, but it said his, their community had prayed for Jackson and in a spontaneous moment, they came up with a song. And so they just, you know, recorded it and sent it to me. I took that song over my phone and I played over my son over and over again. You know, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was 
I was fighting warfare, and and it was wasn't just me. I wasn't alone. I had people were <laughs> literally making weapons, writing songs, and sending them to us. It still humbles me and baffles me. The power of global prayer, the power of community, the power of believing together. He started talking again. You know, he was, you could tell it was, it was still like fragile, it was still coming back, but he was talking again, and that was like amazing. He was asking in the cutest two year old voice, like everything he can imagine that he liked, you know, I want a hamburger, I want a hamburger, <laughs> you know, but we were so happy to hear him talking again. From talking with Joel, the tone started to feel like, oh wow, we, we're coming out of this, I think. Just the shift internally of like we made it was incredible. We walked in to the hospital just before Christmas and now we're sitting here with a healthy son taking his nap right now. Sometimes Amen, yeah, Amen. Sometimes we've got to declare out loud that belief in God even before our hearts are there. Sometimes we've got to lift up our praise to God on our lips even before we see His power at work in our lives. The choice that faces us is a choice between belief and unbelief. We don't get to choose whether we're healed or the one who's close to us is healed. That's, that's not our decision, ultimately. But we do get to choose whether we believe in a God who can heal or whether we choose to believe in the fear and the doubt and the hopelessness, the giant of unbelief, as it was said in that video. What are you going to choose to believe today? Where are you going to choose to place your trust when you're faced with doubt? You know, we all struggle with, um, <clears throat> with issues, with, with things going on in our lives. Some of us, it's physical pain. Some of us, it's, it's emotional pain. It's hurts that we've, we've received from others. Maybe it's psychological. There's a war in your mind. Maybe, maybe it's spiritual for you. You feel under immense oppression. And we've all prayed for those things. We've all prayed that, that God would take them away. And, and yet here we are today and we're still struggling with them. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's a person close to you. You've prayed for them. God healed them and, and, and they're still where they are today. We've all got those doubts. That's different for each one of us. But this morning, what I want to invite you to do is I want to invite you to choose to hand over your doubts, hand over your fears to God. Say, God, help my unbelief. And to make a declaration that you believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. So in a moment, we're going we're gonna to sing that song. I raise a hallelujah presence of my enemies and maybe that's the way you need to respond this morning is you need to sing that out and you need to praise God in spite of your doubts and say God you are still good you are still worthy of praise I believe that you can still heal and I give you my unbelief today I know that for me saying it is one thing but but actually physically responding it can create this moment that I can look back on later in my journey and I can say, I know in that moment I made a choice and I can look back upon that and remember how God worked as a result of that. 
And so this morning we've taken the chairs away here at the front and, and we've created a space. If, if you just want to come forward and you just want to kneel down here, because there's, that for you is going to be significant, I want to offer you the opportunity to do that. We've got tons of room, tons of space. Just come and kneel at this place and say, God, I surrender my doubts. I surrender my fears. I believe you can heal. I believe that you can do this. And in the story of the young father and, uh, and Jesus and the boy, Jesus did heal the boy. And later on, he shared with his disciples that that healing was only possible through prayer. We have this morning a prayer team and elders who are ready to pray with anyone who needs prayer. Perhaps what is going on in your life could be unlocked through prayer. God could bring about his healing through the prayer of someone else. And so I want to invite you to come forward. As you do, kneel down and then just raise up a hand like that. Our prayer team, our elders, they'll make their way to you and they'll pray for you. So we're going to respond to this. We've got plenty of time. There's no rush. But we're going to say this together as one body. I I believe, help my unbelief. It might look different for each one of us, but that's how we're going to do this. So would you you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a second as we we start this time. Lord, we, we do choose this morning belief. We choose to hand over our our, our doubts, our fears, our unbelief to you. We give it to you. Ask that you would take it. You would help us. You would change it. And we choose belief. Just take a moment now and, and make that personal. Whatever area it is of your life or the life of a person close to you that you're finding those doubts coming in just just between you and God make that really personal right now say over that I believe help my own